0: organisations from Capita.
1: Hello and welcome to a podcast special from Capita looking at how automation will impact work in the future. I'm Rick Kelsey and I'm joined by two guests to discuss this topic. Linda Gratton is Professor of Management Practice at the London Business School and a leading expert on the future of work. Hello Linda.
0: Hello, great to be here.
1: Good to have you and Ismail Amla is the Chief Growth Officer at Capita. Hello, Ismail. Hello. Excited to be here. You've been here before. I have. (laughs) We're at the Southback Centre in London for the launch of Capita's new research study called Robot Wars, or Automation Alliances, People, Technology and the Future of Work. Linda, you've worked with Capita on this detailed study. What's new and important for you about this research then?
0: Well, I've actually been working in the field of automation for over a decade. But what is new and important about this study is that rather than surveying managers about their feelings about it, we actually went out and talked to people all over the country whose jobs were being automated about their feelings about it. And I think, for me, the really positive message that this Capita report shows is that people are curious Mm. about uh, what's going to happen to them Uh, They want to collaborate, they want to to work with others, and I think we've got a great deal of energy within the UK to embrace uh, the whole agenda of uh, automation. However, we really need, and this came out very much this morning in our conversation, we need leadership to stand up, uh, and we also need governments to play a role.
1: Curious is an interesting word, isn't it? Curious, not worried. Well...
0: uh, Curious is sort of worried. Uh, people are anxious about the future. Um, surveys have shown that. But what came out in our conversations with people is that they often are very positive about automation. It's taking the routine, boring parts of their work away. Um, and they're curious about what's going to happen in the future. But what they obviously have to do is either upskill to do the bits of the jobs that machines don't do, or they have to reskill to find a different type of job. And that upskilling and reskilling agenda is an enormously important agenda for the UK.
1: Ismail, so obviously it's an important piece of work, but why is Capita specifically looking at the issue?
2: Well, if if you think about what's going on in the world right now and the impact of technology on changing the way in which we live and work, You've got to accept the fact that you've got to get into dialogue with the people that this is going to most going to impact, and as we think about how this this dialogue has gone on so far, we know that this is the narrative of technologists, it's the narrative of people in the board, but the people it impacts it's almost an afterthought and I think the reason for us this was so important is that we wanted to take the stance which said actually we've got sixty five thousand people, this is going to impact. To a lesser or a larger degree, a large number of them. And if we're going to live to our purpose, which is to better, create better outcomes, and better outcomes for our employees is one of them, we need to get them engaged in this debate. And the work that we've done with Linda has been critical in creating a different type of research, which is more focused on listening rather than just observing what might happen both of you really automation is going to change how
1: we work obviously in the future but how important is it for business to focus on this future immediately now because i was thinking about this before and you know we were talking about automation 20 years ago and we thought we'd potentially be further ahead today than we are but maybe we're not
0: well, I think, you know, a lot of automation has happened without you even noticing. Mm. Uh, you know, so in our, in our private lives, we use platforms all the time to, 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 to get a car, to have a massage, to have our hair done, whatever. So actually, I think quite a lot of automation is invisible. We're so used now to talking to bots, we don't even know we're talking to a bot. Um, I think you're right, though, that the future of work is now.
2: Ismail, do you want to come in on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a dangerous thought to think that actually we're not where we thought it would be. I think we're exactly where we thought we would be. And I think there's a danger of us being in denial and ignoring all of these signals that Linda is talking about, which tell us that the world is a very different place. And actually, if you really want to think about how do we compare or are we where we thought we should be? Don't fear it. Don't fear it and look across the world. Look at what's going on in the Nordic countries. Look at what's going on in the emerging countries where they don't have any of the old technologies and they are instantly going to all of these new ways of working and living. Next, we'll dig a little deeper into the topic and get
1: the thoughts of some of the business leaders here. Tomorrow's Organisations So, Linda, in your view, what's the main takeaway from today's research? And I think the main takeaway is there's a positive message
0: here, that people want to embrace automation, they see it has a positive effect on their job, but they're also anxious about the future. So, Mm. if we can somehow embrace that positivity and also help people focus on the future, give them the skills to navigate that future, then we're going to be in a great position. And that requires multi-stakeholders and and John Lewis uh, this morning was very clear about that as as the CEO of Capita he sees his role as taking leadership in this narrative of automation we need more CEOs to do that and we also need government to step up in terms of supporting both understanding mapping the future and also providing people with the tools to, to actually make that transition. So this multi-stakeholder approach is going to be
1: absolutely key. Ismo there's also been a panel discussion here today. What were the, the main themes for you to come out of that?
2: Yeah, I think that the, the thing that I was really excited by and, and I think reflecting on was this idea that Linda's talking about where the people whose jobs are being affected are saying, we are open to this discussion, we're excited by it, albeit we have some concerns, but they're also starting to establish the conditions under which they will collaborate. That's what I heard. And what I'm hearing is that they're saying, but you, Mr. Employer, need to think and talk to us and think about our employability and our skills. Mm. And I think this is going to be a catalyst to a really rich discussion on how do we engage you in re-engineering the corporation. So training. Training, right. Reengineering the corporation. So what does the new capital look like, for example? And in return, we have the responsibility to make you employable. And skills, all sorts of skills, hard skills, soft skills, networking opportunities, whatever it might be. And I think the net net, I'm really excited because the net net of it is we're going to get a bunch of people who are going to be upskilled and reskilled and actually add more value and themselves be in a better place than when we started. Because that's it, isn't it? People are are scared that they won't have the skill. Correct. That's exactly what
1: they're scared of. Uh, we'll return to our conversation in a moment, but earlier we caught up with some of the attendees here to get their views on the research. I think what, what I've taken away is actually the, the the need to kind of mainstream this, to make sure that is not a one-off company and how we can actually... Embed that uh, in other organisations.
0: Um, it was really, really interesting, especially to hear around the points of social mobility and how um, businesses are going to have to take a leading role in upskilling students and those in those areas to make sure they're not left behind in this massive revolution that we're going to go through.
1: What today's restated to me is the importance for dialogue and cooperation between employers and employees to come to a outcome that serves both communities.
2: It's great to see Capita leading that example and taking that ownership and responsibility uh, for shaping that change. Um, There is a lot of uh, resistance from others, so it's great to see this example that Capita is uh, (laughs) providing here.
1: So a variety of lively comments there. What's your kind of response? You, you must be pleased with that. I'm absolutely delighted. I think it's absolutely
0: crucial that we in the UK start the conversation. There's got to be a catalyst. I'm thrilled that it's Capita. I'm thrilled that John Lewis, as the CEO, has stepped up and made that call for action Uh, I'd love now for many thousands of people to involve themselves in the conversation and also for us to see across the UK the good practice that's already happening. My guess is there's already right across the UK some wonderful stories of automation. Let's hear about them.
1: I suppose the research exposes a number of so-called automation myths that, that we kind of touched on. Uh, Can you give us some of those examples of those myths?
0: Yeah, well, one myth is that robots will destroy our jobs. There's no exact, there's no evidence of that. Actually, uh, all of us will have some of our jobs uh, taken by artificial intelligence or robots. Every single one of us, me, you, every single person that's listening, Um, And that's inevitable. But the part of our jobs that are left are the human parts. That might be human skills, empathy and understanding. It might be cognitive skills, um, being able to make decisions, having really great judgment. Uh, John Lewis earlier was talking about critical thinking as being Mm. a key part. So there's a great opportunity for us to be uh, more human. So that's really a myth that we've shattered in this report. But will there be enough jobs? The second myth is there won't be enough jobs, there will be enough jobs. You know, what we, when you look at the journey of automation, it's very easy to see where the jobs are going, but it's always impossible to predict where the jobs are coming from. But what we know is technology always creates more jobs than it destroys. So there will be new jobs, but they'll be
1: different from the jobs now. I suppose you can see where people might get, you know, People t- talking about, in the study, talking about automation anxiety. And even if you expanded it out a little bit, if you're a
2: 21-year-old hairdresser in Hull, whole, you're thinking, well, how's this going to affect me? <laughs> I'm totally with Linda. I think there will be more jobs. There will be new jobs. There will be hundreds of thousands of jobs. What, what I hear from the reaction from the attendees is almost a sense of relief, which, finally, we're talking about something that is critical to the future of this country, not even individual companies. But I think what um, what's really important, Linda, to your point is, but how do we get this hairdresser from Hull and get her or him to understand what jobs are available and what the path is to reskill and upskill? To these new opportunities?
0: Well, well, actually, funnily enough, if you look at the... uh, You can actually measure every single job at the moment in terms of its automation potential. Hairdressing doesn't have any. I mean, there will always be hairdressers. (laughs) There is currently no robotic hairdresser that's available. Safe skill. So I would say, yes, stay being a hairdresser. (laughs) It's a (laughs) really good job.
1: Um, Do you think there's a prevailing view in business, though, that upskilling should be inclusive for everyone?
0: Of course. When we went around the country and talked to people about, you know, what was important, a few people said, look, you know, I'm over 50 and I'm not called a digital native, but that doesn't mean I don't love automation. Mm. So we've got to be really careful that we include everybody, whatever their age, men and women, at every type of job they're doing.
1: Our final section looks at the immediate future next. So Linda, we know that 72% of business leaders believe that the transition to a hybrid workforce is the biggest challenge they face over the next five years. What action, though, can business take today?
0: First of all, to help their employees understand their future, understand where the jobs are going to be, which tasks are going to be automated, and what the human skills that are going to be crucial for the future, number one. Number two invest in upskilling and reskilling. The truth is that in the short term, government is not gonna step up here. We're going to have to ask corporations to step up and it's they who have to take some of that burden. There's great opportunities, by the way, to use e-learning to help them to do that. And number three, uh, companies have to realize that this is an inclusive agenda and that everybody in their employee group needs to be helped through this automation journey.
2: I think this is a real moment of inflection for a lot of companies. And I think that um, for us, it starts, it, it forces us to think about two or three things. Firstly, not what do we do, but why do we do it? Why do we exist? So the purpose of organizations, I think, are going to become important because how they do it will change. Secondly, I think taking into account all of this change, the reinvention of our individual people and their skill sets has got to be key criteria. So regardless of what we're going to do, whether it's automation or AI or data or IoT, whatever it might be, we know we have to upskill our staff. So that's something they can do today. And the third thing is a huge cultural change in a lot of organisation, which is to move to a growth mindset, which is a way of working, which says we're going to try new things. We might fail. We know that through continuous testing we're going to learn new things and that's not just an individual mindset but a corporation mindset that the leadership sets do you think it's the
1: place of government because we've touched on government quite a bit and policymakers to provide that really clear direction for companies to adapt i mean i suppose what i'm specifically getting at is how much do they actually have to step in
0: Governments in some countries have done a great job of stepping in. You know, the Singaporean government, for example, has made uh, available to every single citizen an amount of money every year to be, to be spent on reskilling. The German government have helped employees across Germany understand the labour market, understanding where it's going. Um, so governments can play a key role. My own personal view in the mm. UK right now is that most of the initiatives are going to come at the level of cities.
1: Before we go, can I just check, is there a section in this report that deals with the automation of radio presenters? I, I, am I about to be replaced by a robot?
2: Yeah, I think if you log on to www.... <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Linda Grattan, Professor of Management Practice at London Business School and Ismail Amler, Chief Growth Officer at Capita, thank you both so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. That's it from this special podcast from the Southbank Centre in London at the launch of Capita's new research study, Robot Wars or Automation Alliances, People, Technology and the Future of Work. I'm Rick Kelsey. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye.
0: If you'd like to know more about the research study, go to capita.com future of work.